No, seriously, today we're headed back into um, 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles and like to turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're covering the whole chapter today of chapter 10. And you know it's easy to get fired up these days. What fires you up? What actually gets you excited? What are you passionate about? That's one of the things that so many, I mean, I was reading this week, people are getting passionate about gas stoves. Like, like we got to like, oh man, we got to stop gas stoves because they're going to, other people say, not over my dead body, you're not taking my gas stove. I'm like, gas stoves. It's a real thing though, that that gets people fired up, you know, like almost literally. (laughs) Bad pun joke. (laughs) There are so many things though in our society right now. You get very fired up about the woke takes on different things going on or about insurrections or about political divides or about, about, about morality, about, about different things. What fires you up? Well, today, I want you to see that our apostle, not me, Paul, the one who wrote much of the New Testament, the one who was the apostle to the Gentiles, to, to us, he today gets fired up about something particular. And I think it's something we should be fired up about. We should actually start to say, hey, this is important. This is something I actually care about. And I know I put on the, the front of your bullet and says gospel obedience, but is passionate about obedience. I know some of you are ready going, Swanson, what are you going to do? This is not sounding like something I want to be fired up about. But it is, it's so important to your life to see what Paul is willing to take a stand on. And to see what he's saying. This is, hey, these other things, I'm, he, I'm, not, I'm not saying a word about this over here, but I'm fired up about this. He's going to speak out, he's going to wage war, he's going to boast. A guy who doesn't do that. To say it's so important. So I want you to see it with me in this chapter. If you'll, if you'll look with me at chapter 10 of, of 2 Corinthians, it's, it's Paul, and he's, he's passionate about obedience, and he's going to start with speaking out. So it goes this way, verse 1. Paul, I myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ I am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. Just pause there, because this is the start of a new section, you know, in 2 Corinthians. And and we covered, we as a church went through, and you can go back and look if you're interested, if you didn't get a chance to catch that, that, the first nine chapters where, where Paul has been amazing in laying out his heart to this church at Corinth who didn't really like him. He was there, he helped plant the church, he was worked with the church, and then they've, they've kind of gone off, and he's had to write multiple letters. We only have two of them, but we think there are maybe even four of them, where he got mad. They were not doing what they should do. If we go through 1 Corinthians, it's all the things they weren't doing right. Not taking communion rightly, not doing morality rightly, not doing all this, these things. But in 2 Corinthians... If you remember as we walk through, right, it's been this amazing message about how God uses jars of clay. 
about how to use the weak things and the, the things that are not strong and, and then to contain this amazing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus and who it is. And we're ambassadors for Christ, declaring that he's done it for us. And so there's this little break, and, and all the commentators say so, the chapter 10 through the end of the, the letter that we're going to cover. So it's kind of a new section, and Paul really gets into this peace, and he starts it like this. This verse 1, verse 2 that we just read. <laughs> and he says what? I'm speaking out. I, Paul, right, and I, I myself, this is very personal to me, he says. I entreat you, oh, please will you hear me, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Oh, by, by doing this, I'm not doing it in anger or hardness or anything, but the total gentleness of Jesus who adores you. Absolutely the meekness of one not wanting to impose, not wanting to be authoritarian or whatever, but I have to speak. I who am humble when face to face with you. So they know he's humble. They know he's not imposing or charismatic or, or heavy handed in, in some way. But he's humble when he's there. But bold when I'm away. Yeah, his letters, right? They take on real problems. So this very first verse sets the stage. I'm not wanting to push, says Paul. I'm humble. I, I want the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. I beg of you. I beg of you. That when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. What? Yeah. I, I, I probably read 2 Corinthians a hundred times in my life. It's so easy just to go over stuff. What is he trying to say? What did he just say he's begging them for? He begs, right? He entreats. And, and here, honestly, the translation's a little off. I'll, I'll make sure you see, looking at the Greek, it should clearly say, I beg of you that when I'm not present, the not should go with the present. I beg of you that when I'm not present, I may be confident in the certainty which, which I, I, I dare upon anyone who considers us to be walking according to the flesh. He's just said, how I beg you. And you know that when I'm with you, I'm, I'm soft. But when I'm far away, I'm bold. And so I'm far away right now, he says. He's writing this letter. And he says, I'm going to be bold. So the whole thing that you and I should be going like, oh my goodness, what is he talking about? What is he bold against? He's bold against what? I am anyone who's going to say that we walk according to the flesh. That's the fire of toughness, right? That's what he's saying. He's talking about people who consider, who think, who accuse, who reckon that Paul is walking according to the flesh. Walking according to the flesh. Those people are over there, and I'm over here not walking according to the flesh. We have allowed people to define walking according to the flesh in a way that you, I don't know that you know what it means. Do you? Paul's going to say, I'm radically fired up. I am so excited about this. The man, I will, I will dare to speak out when I'm a humble person just wanting the meekness. Because I have to say something about not walking according to the flesh. Now I want to know what that is. What is it? I believe it means according to his own strength and power. 
his own. It means his own improvements and strengthening is what he thinks his life is about. It means his own good works and self-righteousness is what he's focused on. Like he's saying, God's about improving you. Right? Your obedience, right? Improving. Your morality, improving. Your life on earth, improving. Is you walking according to the flesh. Like that's your focus. Right? Like the flesh is what the world is all about. I'm telling you, working out. Getting stronger, studying, getting smarter, going to church, getting moral. God is in the business of accounting your good works to your account. That's walking according to the flesh. You. And Paul says, and people are saying, that Paul, man, he's always trying to just make people better. Make us do better. And Paul writes back and says, that makes me fired up. Ooh, I like yelling. Oh, no sleeping today. <laughs> it does, though. He speaks out against that, right? That's, that's what he's speaking out against. And, and, and indeed, it's not just even that he's like a little sad. He wages war, he says. He's waging war. That's how important this is. For though I walk in the flesh, verse 3, we do. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So war according to the flesh would be according to my strength. The, the, the whole idea that Paul has about what it is he says he puts, and we read it this morning in Philippians 3, that he puts no confidence in the flesh. What does it mean to put no confidence in the flesh? Because then in chapter 3, when he says, I put no confidence in the flesh, then he goes to say, but, but if anybody could, then I could, right? Like, let me just pull up one verse of that, two verses of that right now. Verse 8 says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have counted the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish is way stronger than just a little bit of garbage. And he's talking about, he say, well, yeah, 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 yeah. All of his achievements, good stuff. No, no, no. His zeal, his self-righteousness. If anybody could boast about the flesh, well, I could. Man, I'm the Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised on the sixth day. I, I'm an apostle. I do good work. Look at all the people that, 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 that I've impacted. And he says, I count all that stuff as garbage. Because what? It's oriented on the flesh. Don't think this doesn't come into our hearts all the time. Man, you know, I was a missionary in China and in Africa. Listen to me. I was a doctor. I was really smart. I came in. I know Greek and Hebrew. You should listen to me. I, you started, look, look, if anyone has friends to boast, to boast in the things you're doing. Look, I get up early every morning and read my Bible. Man, I'm so glad I pray more than all you guys. Paul did say that, but he said that as a fool. So I'm so glad I do that so that you can't, like, 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 Tell me that that's what's important. I can say, no, it's not important. As somebody who does it, you can say, you just say that stuff about not being a good and not relying on your good and strong things because you don't do them. 
No, I read my Bible more than anybody. Paul, I write the Bible, says Paul. I count it as nothing. He's talking about the flesh. We're, we're, we mean, when we say flesh, we kind of mean like looking at bad sights on the computer or something or, or, or sneaking off and smoking cigarettes, all the things we do that are bad and evil and sins. Those are flesh, part of our flesh, you know, the, the, the sin stuff. But the Bible actually says the sin is, is the flesh is you. Your push towards self-achievement. And Paul's like, I, I, we walk in the flesh. Of course I walk in the flesh, he says. If you go back to what he says there, he says, though we walk in the flesh. He's saying, yeah, I can't ever get away from it. I walk in it. I'm in the flesh. I'm constantly, you know, I, I want my teeth to last, so I'm brushing my teeth. I, I, I you know, I, I comb my hair in the morning. I, of course I do things to, to make myself look improved or to do things. I work out. I want to be healthy. Those are things I do. I walk in the But that's not how we wage war. The war is not according to the flesh. The weapons of warfare, he says in verse 4, our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Our weapons have nothing to do with our self-improvement, Paul says. Like God is making us into strong soldiers to fight some more. Like your morality and achievements are making you into something strong for God. No, our weapons are totally different, and they are incredible. They, 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 they can rip down strongholds, and he's talking about strongholds, right, with satanic things. He's talking about things that the devil does to, to deceive people about what their life is about, where their value and identity are. These are people caught in these crazy spots, and you know what can break through? Divine power can. That's what he's saying, right? Do you realize what's even going on this is huge this is massive this is amazing this is a whole nother life than you could ever imagine how can i even say that because paul's going there i don't know what you think about the church yeah i mean us what a ragtag bunch of misfits if you wanted to say, let me, let, me, let me talk to you about the wisdom of God for a minute. The wisdom of God. Do you know where the wisdom of God is found? In math. Do you know how crazy cool math is? Like you can do all these crazy things with triangles and geometry and, and, and you can figure out all these amazing things. And it's so, you want to find the wisdom of God. Do some math. You say, well, I'm not into math. That's okay. Go out to nature. That's where wisdom of God. Have you ever taken a hike on Galbraith? Just Galbraith. I'm not even talking Hawaii. It's so beautiful what God has made this creation. It's so amazing. One leaf, one snowflake, unique in all the snowflakes. God has made such the wisdom of God in creation, right? How about DNA? Like there's, I'm a medical guy, I love, do you know how complex it is that God would take everything that could make a human being and twist it up into one little tiny thing? Can't even see it. But it's so complex, it's so amazing. God did that. So when God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my wisdom, hey, just bust out the DNA, that'll do it. Man. 
What does he say? Remember Ephesians, Ephesians 3, verse 10? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. No, 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 no. Get that right. So, so you, you got God... And he's going to show his beautiful, manifold, manifold, many-colored wisdom, his amazing wisdom. And so he's going to bust out a tree, geometry, DNA, anything you're going to say, this is where we go to find the beauty. No, he gets a church. And my voice goes up because I can't believe it. You guys? Oh, we better get working. We better get that homeless meal going. We better get some shining going on around here because if we're supposed to be the manifold wisdom. We've got to show that kind of... No, 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 no. He says you're on display. God does that. And he's showing it not to other people like, like to convince them. He's showing it to the angels and powers in heaven. Look how amazing my wisdom is. And he shows off you and me. You've got to know how deep this is what God's doing. It's not about you, 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 you lifting a few weights and, and you kind of self-transforming yourself into something a little nicer. That, that's not this message. Paul's going, I fight against that. Because the divine power I'm talking about breaks down strongholds. The strongholds are principalities in the heavens. It's that amazing and huge and mighty. It's not you displaying your personal strength of character. It's something far different, something with divine power. What is that? Read on. This is what we fight against. We destroy, Paul says, we destroy. I'm being bold. He says, I'm fired up. We we, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Oh! You got to go slow with me on this. Because again, I, I, I fear that our translator here has done us no favors. And so we read this, we don't really understand it, we go on. And you don't see the depth of what Paul is fired up about. And then you're not fired up either. We'll destroy every argument, Paul says. We will destroy it about you getting to God by you. The knowledge of God comes through Christ. Right? Instead, we who have the knowledge of God will take every thought captive. We will, we will take it all. We, we, we will not allow any thought to be outside of this one. This is the most important one. And, and it's not even that, that there aren't other thoughts, it's that they are under this one. This is what we're fired up about. This is, the, this is the center core. This is amazingly true and positive and huge. One incredible truth. What is it? That's what the text says right there, right? Every thought captive, but then the text, which is a noun and a genitive. Every thought captive to the obedience of, of Christ. The obedience of Christ. That's what the text says. The divine power of our weapons, the incredible truth that makes us the manifold wisdom of God, is this message, this truth centered here, the obedience of Christ.
I, I, I took that last half and I just took the Greek and I wrote it out to make it cleaner for you. And several commentaries do this too. That to take captive every thought into, the, the word there is iso, into the obedience of Christ. So I take everything that's thought, everything that's over here, and I bring it into what? The obedience of Christ. I could say Christ's obedience. You know what that means? It means my passion for obedience is a passion for someone else's obedience. Do you believe that? Right? He's saying, saying I, I'm, I'm taking every thought into the obedience of Christ to take down every refusal to listen. That's the word disobedience there. It literally means not listening. When your obedience is full You've got to catch this as the apostle. And he's fired up and he's saying this. He's saying every single thing that I know comes down to the obedience of somebody else. And anyone who won't listen to that, that's disobedience. That's the refusal to listen. I will passionately stand against it because when, when you know this, right? When your obedience is full, what obedience of, of, of yours is full? Complete. It's the obedience of Jesus Christ that has been given to who? To you. Don't come at me with your obedience. Don't come at me saying, look at me, I'm doing it good, I'm doing it right, I'm doing everything I can be. Look, Dax, I'm doing okay. You know what Jesus did with that over and over and over? He came back and says, do something more. Remember the the rich young ruler? I've done all these things through my youth. Oh, great, give your stuff away. Oh, Oh, Jesus, 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 I want to go to heaven. What should I do? I'm going to love, love people. And she says, oh, yeah, go ahead. Love God, love your neighbor. Oh, well, who's my neighbor? Your enemy that you can't love. And, and, and just over and over and over, this idea becomes it's not your obedience, it's his. And this noun, obedience, and the possessive Christ. Genitives can be different things, so I'm telling you, it could be that Christ is the, is the object or the subject, but more likely the subject, the subject, Christ's obedience. Christ who obeys. And then you have people who won't listen and they accuse you of not obeying, but they're not listening. I mean, this is the Bible, right? This is Paul. He, he, this is not a one-off for Paul. Paul's like, oh, wow, this is so surprising. Out of the blue. No, it's not. Romans 5, 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Our message, the actual truth that you know, is that it's not about your obedience. It's about the obedience of Jesus. And Paul's fired up. Right? Because people are saying, hey, Paul, you walk according to the flesh. You're just about growing yourself. You're just about... You're just, the whole message that I have is it's about obedience of Jesus. He died on the cross for me. He forgives all of my sin. That's what's going on. That's what he's saying. Some people just won't get it. Your obedience is full because everything, everything... Everything comes down to the obedience of another. And Paul says, I'm fired up. Paul says, I'm waging war. Paul says, I'm destroying our strongholds. And the strongholds are arguments raised against the knowledge of God. What are they? They are that we walk by the flesh. This is 
so much bigger than any political argument you ever want to get into with anybody. This is so much bigger of whether our schools are doing good or badly with CRT and, and, and all these things we want to argue. That's fine. But do you realize what's creeping in the back door? Do you realize what we fight on? And Paul says, I'm so fired up. I'm taking every single thought captive to this one, the obedience of another, the obedience of Jesus. Oh, for you. Forgiveness for you. By Jesus' obedience. Life for you. By Jesus' obedience. I know, I know, I know. You can look at the front of your bullet and say, oh, gospel obedience. You know what you think right away? How am I going to obey? But the gospel obedience is Jesus obeyed for you. Your obedience is full because of the obedience of another. And I'm bold, says Paul. I'm fired up. I won't stop. This is what matters. You're dying and your hope is to live in Christ. Your flesh-worked achievements aren't offerings to God. They aren't up to the standard of the required love. No hope is there. There's only the beatings of Christ, and I'll go to war for that, for you to know it. In fact, I'll even be a fool, and I'll boast. That's where he finally goes, right? He's boasting. He's boasting. Look, he says in verse 7, what is before your eyes? If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. If you think you're Christ, why aren't we? We are. Why are we? Because of his obedience. If it's about Jesus alone, and it's not about how strong I look. It's about this incredible truth for me. The truth of Jesus. This is our apostle. He's, he's, he's going. He says, sure, maybe I speak too much about my authority, but it's only because God gave it to me for you. That's what he says. He says, even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I write this stuff because it's so important for you. Yeah, I'm saying it's true, but I have to. This is for you that I'm doing it. And he says, I do not want to appear to be frightening to you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. You gotta catch this. Because their argument is, you know, he's not, he's not well put together enough. He's not strong enough. He's not, he's not forceful enough. He's not, he's not doing obedience. I was like, well, the whole message that I'm coming to you with this obedience to someone else. So when I'm with you, I do that. It's about Jesus. It's not about me strong for Jesus. I'm weak. It's actually about God in Christ is strong for you. That's just a crazy different message than you guys are used to hearing. That's what it is. Me humble and Christ everything. There's no disconnect there. You know what the worst thing is? Comparing yourself to other people. Because then what are you actually doing? You're actually like grading them on how strong they are. That would be terrible. (laughs) That's exactly where he goes. 
Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. There's no way you really get that unless you realize what he's saying is, you can't. That's so dumb, and yet we do it every single day. I'm good and upstanding, and they're bad and evil. We don't do it quite like that. We do grades, you know. We even compare, I compare me to like younger me. Man, I used to be all fired up and now I'm all like broken down. You fool. That's why you called me a fool. I'm not calling you a fool. Paul is. He says when you do that kind of stuff, you're without understanding. You don't get that it's about Christ alone and the Holy Spirit that's working in you. And and you're going down. And what is our hope with Paul? Resurrected life. I'm going to be resurrected. How about you? So it keeps going. And, but, we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we didn't reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We don't boast beyond limit in the labors of others. I'm not buffing myself up, but but I would like to point out to you, he says, boasting, that I brought to you this good news. Oh, God used me to bring you this amazing message by which you will live. I think that's cool, he says. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. I'm not even going to put other people down at all, says Paul. God uses people in different ways. He's even using you. You might help us get the word out further. Man, it's really good news. And God gives Amazing grace that misfits like us actually proclaim this incredible message of the obedience of Christ for us. It's so cool, says Paul. He's not any less fired up, but he's walking through this boasting that he's been doing. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is our final hope, right? It's in staying true to the Savior. That's what Paul's getting at. Trusting him and not ourselves. It's where our commendation is and God does it, not us. It's not our picking out who's doing well. We can't see the heart. We see almost nothing. We're even hesitant talking to you, Paul says, but we have to speak up against this striving in the flesh because we care for you. That's where he goes this morning. Fired up, man. I'm telling you. I am too. I'm fired up for you this morning. Man, would you be fired up, passionate about the gospel, right? Passionate about obedience, the obedience of Christ. Amazing, buying into the, the, the world hates this message. Our flesh hates this message. I want it to be about me. And here comes God and says, actually, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be on display that Jesus Christ did this for you. And the church is the group of people who actually trust this Jesus. He's done it. 
He did it for you. Churches now are often known for where good people gather. Christianity can be religion for good people. That's true, it's not for me. It's a scandal that the church is the scariest place to fall down. That's because a lot of churches think that God, hear this, a lot of people think that the church and God's purpose is to reform you, to make you a better you. You you can't say everything's falling apart if the very purpose of God as you stay in church is I'm supposed to be getting better. Making, being a good person. If you think God's plan is to make you a good person rather than being a trophy of grace, you cannot tell the truth, not over any period of time. Is church the first place or the last place you can talk about real sin, crises of faith, sin by you and other, cancer and dying, and, and, and this is what Paul is fired up about, and you should be too, because Christianity and the church, we are about the obedience of Christ. He obeyed for you, which means what? He forgives you. Over here is the lane of improvement. Over here is the sea of forgiveness. They are not the same. And the sea of forgiveness is where we live. It's supernatural. Let me show you as we close a a couple things. So here's Jesus, and he's in Luke 15, and the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The Bible, the word of God presents to you that the people who are drawn to Jesus are the sinning misfits, and the people that are on the wrong path and rejecting him are the religious do-gooders. That's so striking. Who are we? I've, I've come to Christ. Who am I? I? I'm in the first verse. That's kind of by definition because I, I'm drawing near to hear him. I want to hear Jesus. I, I, that's who I am. I, so I, I, can't, I can't be the religious do-gooder not according to the Bible. Or in John 8. You know the story of John 8, right? It's the woman caught in adultery and they drag this woman out in the act. They drag her before Jesus and some people it's not even in the Bible but, but, but it might just not be in the right place there. They drag him out and it's this amazing scene and, and remember the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus and so the do-gooders are there and they, they say, well, they think Jesus is soft on the law so they're like, hey, Jesus, what do you do with this, with this woman? And remember Jesus, very famously, everybody wants to know what he wrote. He sat down and he wrote something on the sand and one by one they went away. But I think the most amazing thing about that story for us to understand in light of what we're talking about with the Apostle Paul is the reality that Jesus doesn't say ever to the woman, oh, you're innocent. She's not it would make total sense to my flesh. It would make total sense to how I think the world should work. It would make total sense to the underlying rules of how like, my sense of justice should go. If what happened was, is this poor innocent woman got pulled forward and Jesus stands up for the poor innocents. I get that. <laughs> go, Jesus, you stand up for the underdog. Instead, the gal undoubtedly, in her disarray, has done the very thing that they're accusing her of. Jesus 
ignores it. Except he says this, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. Sin no more. People say, oh, well, well, that's the thing. You're supposed to not sin no more. That statement's just like sin's bad for you. Don't do it. Not an expectation you're not going to sin anymore because we breathe. The reality is the wonder that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this is his presentation of I am the one who forgives. Do you know who I forgive? The guilty. The ones who actually say, I'm not who I ought to be. The ones who actually are not. Jesus, I don't... I don't condemn you, and he is the one whose obedience has mattered, and he is the one that gets to say, I forgive. Do you know what his message is to you today? I forgive you. Will you receive it? This is Paul's message. (coughs) Because the message is his obedience, not theirs. Jesus did not stop people from sinning. He forgave their sins. And he forgives yours. How? Because the message is his obedience, not theirs. I love this Martin Luther quote. He says, may a merciful God preserve me from a church where everyone is good. I want to be and remain in a church of the faint-hearted, the feeble, the ailing, who cry to God for their failings, the guilty, I want to be in a church who believes in the forgiveness of sin. So that's where we are. We are fired up about the gospel. We take everything to the cross and Jesus and his obedience for us washes over us. Does it it not make us wanting not to sin? Of course it does. I never want to sin again. But who will save me from this body of sin and death as I do, as you do? Sin still. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is gospel obedience. This is passion about real obedience, the obedience of Christ for you. It's glorious. It's the message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, the word of God that you've given us. Thank you for your son, who represents you better than anything else ever does. And this day, at this spot, Lord, may you kindle our hearts for a passion, for the wonder of what you've done for us, for the beauty of you declaring that we're your wisdom, the amazing truth that you've forgiven our sin. Help us to believe it, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us to remind each other as we live this life that You're everything for us. Jesus, you're worthy of all our praise forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen.